Hello, Yahweh. Again, you have graced me with a new day. Bless me with the breath and the opportunity to share from your treasury yet again. Bless brothers and sisters. And in doing that, you bless me, Father God, allowing me to be the conduit to share this with them. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for walking with me, guiding me. Guide them. They that have an ear to let them hear, Father God, open their eyes for spiritual truth, their ears for spiritual knowledge and wisdom, Father God, that they seek the truth and not offense. They that seek offense shall surely find offense, and they that seek the truth shall find the truth. Abba Yahweh Amah, Yeshua Amah, Parakritos Amah. So, brothers and sisters, a couple questions to pose at you. And of course, millennials will probably not know anything about what I'm talking about. Some older folks might. Um, have you ever gone horseback riding or gone to one of those... Uh, commercial places not a <laughs> there were a couple up where I lived and you go and you you want to go horseback riding and you go to take the animals out but there's no real adventure to it because the animals all know where they're going and they're only permitted to go a certain area even when you go without a guide you can't get the horse to go anywhere other than the trail that it goes on. And it's as if that horse has got a time sense in it. When it gets to a certain point, it turns around and just head back to the barn. <laughs> Pardon me. And if you've seen trackings, been around any farms or anything, and you have a, uh, or uh, better yet, if you've ever been to an old time grist mill back in the days for you younger folks um, they didn't have the mechanical grist mill that they have now or that we have available now <coughs> pardon me um, they used to have everything was a mule teams or ox team you take the grain and it goes into the grist stone and the millstone was a large round stone and the animals were hooked up to the apparatus and they would just go around in a circle uh, and they would roll the grain and that's all they did the course of the day and if you paid attention to around where the animals trod you would notice that a path was wearing in the ground and it was a rut and I bring that up because Many of us allow ourselves to get into a rut and we stay in that rut. We don't pay attention to anything other than what we have pre-planned. And this is what I've shared with you before is that God has given us the ability, the capability for that forethought, that pre-planning, that capability to look out and, and to plan things. But here's the problem and the pitfall that we get into is that we get so caught up in that that things become 
routine, mundane, regular, nothing that doesn't seem like there's any adventure, there's no spontaneity. Um, it's just, it's got to be this routine and everything has to be just that way. Um, I trapped myself like that before. But now I've gotten to the point where I trust that God is guiding. And when he says there's a bend in the road and it's a detour, I go. You must learn to trust that God's detour is the road. And this pre-planning that he's given us the capability to do, people tend to fill their calendars with so much junk. And then when it doesn't go according to what they have planned and written down in their agenda, if something has to deviate just a slight bit, there's a freak fest. They just go, they get upset, they get agitated, they get even to the point of becoming angry and people will try to assist or help or what's wrong, can I do something? And then they snap, their retortions are very uh, very curt, terse, nasty. And, and because what's that all about? Because it didn't go according to your plan? It didn't go according to your ideal agenda. Oh, come on, brothers and sisters, get over yourself. This is what we must do. We must get over ourselves. And we must look to God and put him in the middle of things. And we must be aware that he's with us all the time. In all things. And I, you know... <laughs> Even just the littlest things. I was up putting a, replacing an electrical fixture and um, kind of an older place for finding things that are not just exactly so and it wasn't going according to what I thought because I'm good at what I do. No brag, just fact. God has given me knowledge and wisdom and how to do these things and and I'm I'm good. But it wasn't going according to the way I thought it should go. <laughs> <sighs> and I fell into that and I was starting to get agitated and then I'm just like, no, 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 forgive me, sorry. And as soon as I let go, as soon as I let go, it was just like snap of the finger. Ideas popped in the head how to do, because I was trying to figure out how to get this fixture in and this little tiny reach hole and... And there was just no way to get it the way it should have been done. And then it was the light came on and went and did exactly the way the thought came in the head. But see, here's the thing that we don't understand, brothers and sisters. We must learn to recognize as much as Satan uses white noise and distraction and these thoughts that come into our head and we think it's just a random thought. The Holy Spirit comes in with these thought processes to guide, teach, and lead us into and away from the agitation and frustration. And I fail at it sometimes. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. As any one of us are, not perfect, just forgiven. So let go of this having to have it exactly your way. 
It's not going to be. Because when you hold on to that so tightly, rest assured, brothers and sisters, that the enemy will come and put something in the way so that it doesn't work, so that you become agitated, resentful, angry, cursed, terse to any of your loved ones around you, stomping around, and people will be able to tell that you're angry. Whether you think you're portraying that or putting that out there or not, they will be able to look and see. So are you reflecting the light of the Lord and the Holy Spirit walking with and guiding? Or are you reflecting that dim light, that darkness and, and barely able to see kind of light? If you've ever been in a dark place and had a flashlight's not working very well, you can barely make out the path that you need to be on or where you are. And it's not working. And then, of course, like in some of the old scary movies, you see the people look, they, they turn the light and they look right in it. And then they turn it over and they whack it on their hand as if that's going to do something. And then they turn it over and they look in the light again. Which is really brilliant because then that takes away your night vision. But anyway, the point that I'm making is that if this light is dim and it's not able to be used for anything, then what's the point, brothers and sisters? What is the point? What is the point of you stomping around, being agitated and being angry, being fearful that it's not going to go exactly your way or it's not going to be done exactly the way that you want to do it? Get over yourself and put the Lord into it and invite him to help you out. It's not hard. It's not hard. And the more that we practice having him around and being aware of his presence, you're going to find it a lot easier that you're going to be able to discern and figure out the path and the direction that you're going to go. And remember to trust that God puts down detours at times, but trust that the detour is the road. I love that, that song that that young uh, contemporary Christian woman sings. And part of the verse is trust that the detour is the road. It's not just, another direction, it's the road. And that's the way that you're intended to go. Remember, Proverbs 3, 6, I believe it is, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Trust the detour is the road. And then people become fearful and they get all worried about, well, what about, what about, what about? And even when I talk about the prophecies and the things, and you have those that are talking about, oh, the doom and gloom, the doom and gloom, oh. Yes, it's dark, it's broken, it's pretty bleak, and the world that we live in is full of hatred and deceit and sin and dark things and all this. But brothers and sisters, remember that we have hope. What is that hope? That hope is the anchor in Jesus Christ. That he came, the only begotten son of Lord God, sovereign, Lord God Almighty, the maker of all things made, Abba Yahweh, our good, good father. That hope is the anchor of Jesus Christ. And I've shared this with you before that fishermen of old, when they were out in the Sea of Galilee or they were out fishing and, and doing what they had to do, the tradesmen, they would drop anchor and the boat would drift 
and they would grab onto the anchor line and just kind of gently pull on it. They weren't trying to pull the anchor up. They were pulling the boat back into position. Well, when you find yourself drifting, grab onto that anchor line and pull yourself back into position. And when you pull yourself back into position, you're going to find that it pulls you back into the Word. So what we need to do is we need to stay in the Word of God. We need to focus on God being with us all the time because he is, <coughs> pardon me, and we need to shoot out those, I've termed it before, the bullet prayers, the little quick prayers and things. I forget those sometimes, honestly, and I have to grab myself and remember, ah, Holy Spirit, forgive me, guide me, guide me in this. And it's just quick. It's just a couple words. You don't have to do a lengthy prayer. You can do it while you're driving down the road. You know, maybe some knucklehead or some uh, chucklehead cut you off and it was kind of a dangerous thing. Well, rather than leaning out the window and screaming and shaking your fists or even doing something other that you shouldn't do, which none of those you should do, but I'm talking about that uh, flipping of that middle finger up that would just seems to be a, a, almost a reflex action now. Um shoot a bullet prayer out. Holy Spirit, guide me in this. This is pretty dangerous and this was not a good thing. Guide me, guide me, guide me. And you'll find that maybe your grip gets a little tighter on the steering wheel so now you can't <clears throat> reach over and power down the window and you can't throw your hand out the window and you can't shake your fist and you can't flip that middle finger up or whatever you thought you were going to do. The Holy Spirit tightens your grip on that steering wheel, which is where it should be anyway. And doesn't even allow you to contort your face or make your mouth movements so that people even walking on the sidewalk can look over and tell that you're not a happy camper. I have to remember something, and I I have the Holy Spirit talks to me about this because, as again, I've shared with you before, I'm kind of a warrior class individual and, you know, you want to respond and it's not our place, brothers and sisters. And what's the point? It's not a personal thing in 99.9% .9 of the cases. It's not even a personal thing. It's just selfishness that they are concerned about self, their timing, their place, their importance, and their agenda, and nothing else matters. I see it daily, all day long some days. It is selfish attitude. So what we have to do is we have to portray more and more the selfless attitude. Lead by example, not by word alone. We must lead by example. And what is that example? That example is to reflect the light of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Lord God Almighty, who came for us to teach us, to guide us, to encourage us. So we need to Guide, teach, and encourage, not by words alone, but by example. And there was an old saying, instead of responding to those that come at you and being argumentative, and, and it goes back and forth and back and forth, you just diminish your voice. Don't scream an argument back and forth, but lower your voice. So then people can barely hear what you're saying, and that the person who either initiated the action or the agitation 
see how hard it is to kind of understand me because I've lowered my voice, the same thing happens. When they come at you with that loud, booming voice and argumentation, drop yours. This is a hard thing to practice, and I practice it more, and I need to practice it even more. But then they show themselves out to be the ass and not you. Because when you argue and you try to get louder and overpower them with your voice, and then it goes back and forth and back and forth, why are you both going to be a couple of donkeys going back and forth kicking at one another? Kind of silly. You're just trying to do what you were doing and they came at you, but do you have to respond that way? No, you don't. You don't. And it's pretty pointless and fruitless. But these things all happen. And when we talk about all the things that are going out there in, the, in this gloomy world and, and uh, you got those naysayers that talk about, oh, doom and gloom, I don't want to hear about that part of the Bible. I just want to hear about the good part of the Bible. You know, I just want to hear the good stuff. Well, then you're not reading contextually. You're not learning. You're actually learning in contrariance to the Bible. You have to take it in context because the entire Bible is truth. It's the word of God and Jesus Christ himself said that it would be as it was in the days of Noah before the coming of the Son of Man. That means when he comes back for us, it's not going to be a good or a pleasant place to be. You read about what was going on in the time of Noah. It was not good. Debauchery with an exclamation point. The same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. When the angels came and the strangers came, they tried to convince Lot to send them out so that they may know them. We're talking about carnal knowledge. We're not talking about meeting ingredients. Hey, hey, welcome to our town. That's not what they were talking about. So brothers and sisters, get over yourselves again. And remember, this is not about us. This is about being selfless and sharing the word of God so that others have the opportunity. The second epistle or the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Chapter 1, 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, brothers and sisters, as Paul was saying and reminding Timothy not to be fearful. Timothy was not in a, he was kind of in a hard place and and was dealing with hardness because um, Paul, of course, you know that Paul had been imprisoned and most of his letters were coming from being imprisoned, either imprisoned by Roman house arrest or actually in chains. And Timothy had become fearful Paul is just trying to encourage him to be upright. We are not given to a spirit of fear, brothers and sisters. 
So, for you naysayers and you doom and gluers out there, grab on to the word of God and grab on to that spirit that God has emboldened us with. Not been given the spirit of fear. And if you cry, oh, doom and gloom, I don't want to hear about that. I just want to hear about the pretty things. I just want to hear about the good stuff. It's all contextual. It's all in the word. And it's all from the word of God. It's all his truth. So get yourself out of the equation. Rewrite the problem. And it's only using a mathematical terminology here. Copy this problem down and do the uh, and execute to the summation. Well, that's all I'm saying. It's not really a problem. Only a problem if we try to control it. But if we give it over to God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and let him guide our steps, as the Bible tells us to do, trust in the Lord and he will guide your steps. So trust in God that the detour is the road. Get over that spirit of fear because when you start, oh, I don't want to hear about that. I just want the pretty stuff. Then you're, you're, you're playing into the spirit of fear. What is there to fear? How is it doom and gloom when you talk about the prophecies in the Bible as our truth because God put it in there and he breathed into the authors. I mean, God himself is actually the author, but the writers of these books, the men and women that wrote these were doing so from the breath of God. So we have to have that trust and that faith and that belief. And we have to stay in that. So in that, brothers and sisters, we have to just remember that we have to concentrate on staying in that, in that uh, constant communication with God through the Holy Spirit. I mean, those bullet prayers, I, I told you. Bullet prayers, quick. They don't have to be a lengthy prayer. Going through the course of the day and somebody cuts you off in the freeway like that or on the, on the city street. Oh my gosh, on the city streets. They, whew, all day long, I see it. You can't say, oh man, why are they throwing like that? Why are they... You can't ask those kind of things because you're going to stay in constant ponderance and you're going to have that rolling around your head all the time. It is the way of the world. It's the way people have become now. It's got to be now. It's got to be my way. It's got to be done just my way and just the way I want to do it now, 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 now. So even driving down city streets, neighborhood streets, oh my goodness gracious, you know that the speed limit is supposed to be diminished there because you have children playing. You have people that are walking back and forth across the street. Their neighbors are going to neighbors' houses and family are walking across the street to the other family member's house. And you have these chuckleheads that are going to drive down the street at 50, 60 miles an hour and the speed limit is 20 or 25 max. And you can hear the jet engines roaring and you can hear the aircraft taking off on the runway. But brothers and sisters, you have to trust and you can't respond to that because that is the way it is. Concentrate, shoot out those bullet prayers, those in the midst of that, Holy Spirit, guard my tongue. 
guard my actions. So you're not going to pick up a rake or shovel or a brick and throw it at that flying jet going down before it takes off. Just Holy Spirit, protect the family. Keep the children on that side of the street, whatever. You know, and it can go out quickly. It doesn't have to be a long, lengthy prayer. But don't be caught up in what we are going to do. Don't get preoccupied, as I said. God has given us the ability to to think out, to have a um, forethought, to be able to pre-plan and don't get caught up and preoccupied in these agendas. You have to be willing and make sure you... Here's the thing. We do everything in pen. Why do we do everything in pen or a marker? Stop it. Stop that. New habit. New practice. Do it in pencil. And make sure when you give God the plans, because you must, you should be asking God's guidance in it anyway. And when you do that, make sure you do it in pencil. Because God does really like to be tidy and neat about what he does. But if you give it to him in pen, because you've decided it's going to be your way, you don't give him room to make erasures and write in the correction, you're going to have a lot of scribbling on your great agenda that you planned out because there's going to be a lot of changes or maybe a lot of changes or maybe he approves of what you have. But there's going to be a lot of scribbling on it if you don't do it in pencil. But if you do it in pencil, then God makes erasures and he writes in the correction. Get used to it. Get used to change. Nothing wrong with it, really. I used to have an issue with it, a problem with it, and and used to get me kind of agitated because things had to be in a certain marching order. I mean, that was just a habitual thing that I'd gotten into. And sometimes I hold on to it still, but you have to let things go. Letting go is a difficult thing to do. Remember what I told you, brothers and sisters, the example and the analogy and (coughs) that uh, exercise. If you take a fist... And you look at it, however you do it, with the thumb across the fingers or the thumb next to the forefinger, either way, and you try to look in there, you can't even see in the fist. Turn it over, look on the small finger side. You can't look in the fist, but if you open it up, there's a whole lot of room. You can actually carry things. So when God is ready to hand you a whole bundle of blessings and guidance that you're going to be able to carry because you haven't got your fist or your hand wrapped around something and holding on so tightly that it creates a fist and you have no way to carry what God intends to give to you. So let go of the bundles of the junk that you're carrying around that you picked up and that you decided you're going to carry. Let it go. Guidance of God. Trust in him. He will guide your steps. And open your hands and, oh my gosh, look at all the blessings that can be carried now. Takes practice, brothers and sisters, it does. It takes practice. And I love this in uh, the fact that we have to understand, too, that we're not going to be in this rut because Abba Yahweh, the maker of all things main, Look around, brothers and sisters. Look at all that God has made. Everything is so different. Things are new. Things are beautiful. 
He created the heavens and the earth. Hello. And I've heard this said before by those that claim to be a Christian. Oh, I, I don't feel, I feel like I'm in such a rut. It's just the same thing over and over. No, it's not. That's just your excuse for not getting up out of the comfort zone and pulling that lever on your recliner and putting your feet on the ground and getting up and moving. The only rut that you're in is the one that you put yourself into because that's what you do. You go to church, you go home, you watch the game, you get in the easy chair, pull the lever, and you sit in front of the boob tube. That's what all the folks used to call the television, by the way. Um, and you sit in front of that, and that's all you do. You don't go out and do anything. You don't socialize, and, and in your course, your work, that may be all you do there, too. Go to work, you go home, you eat a meal, you go to bed. You get up, you go to work, you go home, you eat a meal and go to bed. On Sunday, you go to church, and it's your day off. And then you go home, you throw yourself in the chair, you watch a game, you eat a meal, and you go to bed. And then you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat a meal, and you go to bed. And you have put yourself in that rut. Nobody but you put yourself in that rut. And you drove into it. You're stuck in it. And now you sit there and you whine and you cry because you can't get out of it. Well, brothers and sisters, that's on you. Take that detour that God has intended for you and quit resisting it. And here's the thing, too. I've shared this before. If you're going down the road and all of a sudden you see a sign and it's on the edge of a cliff because there was a flash flood and it washed the road out and now it's become a cliffside down into the Roaring River that washed the bridge out. And there's a sign up that says, road close ahead, detour, take a left. Do you crash through that barricade and that sign and continue going straight because you don't want to take the detour? You want to save time and go straight because you know that the detour is going to add at least 15 minutes to the road trip, but you're in a hurry because you've got to have it now and you go straight through because you think, ah, oh, it can't be that bad. And then all of a sudden you go plummeting down the edge of this road and the bridge is gone. Hello? The detour sign's up there for a reason. God does the same thing. He gives you a detour for a reason. Don't be such a knucklehead and, and being so bent on doing it your way. Let go. Trust the detour is the road. God's pretty creative. I mean, look at around. Look at all the stuff he created. Get yourself out of the rut. Start holding on to the hand of God, trusting that he's going to guide your steps. He will. He will. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's promised that. And as it says, in the, David wrote in his poem, Psalm 32, 8. But first I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you from uh, the book of Isaiah. And I love, I love from the Hebrew text and the way that they translate Hashem Lord God will guide you always he will slake your thirst in parched places and give strength to your bones you shall be like a watered garden like a spring whose waters do not fail I like that translation because parched anybody know what that means anybody heard that word before 
you if you've seen any of the um, old westerns or anything like that, and you see these guys crawling around out in the desert, they got lost, the horse got killed, or the Indians ambushed them and left them for dead out there, and their horse is dead, and they're walking, they're carrying their saddle, or they're just kind of trudging along out in the desert, <clears throat> and then it zooms in and shows a close-up, because they're the star of the show. And all around their mouth is blistered and, and dry and, and everything, and then all of a sudden you, they look up and they see this little homestead up there, and there's a well, and they run. They don't walk, they run to the well. And they grab that bucket and they take the ladle and they dump water over their head. And then, of course, the homesteader comes out with a gun and they're getting ready to defend their house and then they see that the person is just so tired and so thirsty and just dumping water and then they collapse at the bottom of the, at the edge of the well. Oh, brothers and sisters, as we should be, we should run to the well. And what is the well? Well, the well is Jesus Christ. He provides us with that living water, the water that he brought. Remember when he was talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the descendant of the line of Jacob who dug the well, who was a relative for the other members of the Jewish nation, but yet there was an issue that came up. And why was that? Because the Jews blamed the Samaritans for infiltrating the false idols and all these things that happened. This Israel's got a serious history on them. They do. So they were blaming each other. They were so caught up and busy blaming each other that they forgot the communion at the table. Communing, which I've shared with you before in the book of Ephesians, that it talks about in the lesson that we're learning at our at church that we're being taught this is that the book of Ephesians is as much about communion as as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they talk about the upper room and the breaking of the bread and the Last Supper before Jesus crucified and goes to heaven. Ephesians talks about communion and community communing. They all have the same root word. Communication. To be able to talk. That means a two-way directional speech. That somebody says something, you respond, they respond, and you go back and forth. Not arguing, not fussing, communication. When you argue, it's kind of hard to argue or communicate when one person is blaring as loud as they possibly can. And then the other person, in order to get their point across, starts screaming and hollering even louder. You can't understand what's being said because there's too much vibration in the speaker because the volume's too loud. Turn it down. Communicate. Commune with one another unify, sit at the same table. Because, brothers and sisters, God created us all. We are all his children. We are all brothers and sisters. Do not make determinations based on coloration, tone, or caste system that may be used in that culture. The character of your heart determines how you're going to treat people, brothers and sisters. Are you going to have the character of the heart of Jesus Christ, because he is our well. That's the well we need to run to. You're tired. All of a sudden you look up, you see that you're, you're in this wilderness and the dryness of this dark and crumbled world, but you look up and you see that well. You run to that well. You get into that living water. 
slake your thirst, your parched thirst. That's what happens to us in this place, brothers and sisters. We become parched. We become so thirsty. And here's the thing, too. I love, here's two things that, that Isaiah says here, and, I, and the Spirit just brought me up to this one verse here in 57, <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm sorry. When thou criest, let thy companies deliver thee, but the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them. But he that putteth his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. How do you how do you perceive what Isaiah was just saying? You trust mammon and you trust in your quote unquote friends who will fail you so more often then they help you come up with excuses. And I'm not saying every time because there are some that are, are true friends. But here's the thing. Remember what I shared before. True friends will give you the shirt off their back. But if you are in turn a true friend, you won't ask for that shirt unless you actually need it. So it's a two-way street. But more often times than not, they will have an excuse why they can't come and help or why they can't make it to an important event that you have, that you're hosting. They want you to come into their kid's birthday all the time and, and all the things that they have going on. But then when you ask them to return a favor or to do something, there seems to always be a plethora of excuses. They come up with an entire list of reasons why they can't. So when you put your trust in the companies, that's what he's saying. When thou criest, let thy companies deliver thee. Go ahead. Those people that you hang out with, that you call your friends, <clears throat> and you use that term so loosely, go ahead, call to them. It's vanity because you don't want to cry out to the Lord. But if you cry out to the Lord and you put your trust in the Lord, he shall possess the land. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> and I also love this. Uh, in Isaiah fifty-eight eleven, and the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and the spring of water whose waters fail not. Just like Jesus told the woman at the well. They that come to this well for a drink <clears throat> shall thirst again. But they that come and take the water that I offer shall never thirst. And then, of course, he had to explain it to her. That he was the well of living water. And he's used that term many times through his scriptures and his teachings. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our anchor. He is our hope. 
is that well of living water that we need to return to time and time and time again. And he never runs out. And he will never turn you away. And when you fall, God is never going to point his finger at you and look at you in condemnation and blame and say, you fell again? What is wrong with you? That is how the devil will talk. Abba, Yahweh, will never speak to his children in that way. Instead, he will put his hands out and help you up. And when you say, Father, I fell again, I'm sorry. He will pull you in quickly, tightly, and hug you. He will give you a God kind of bear hug. You will feel like he's crushing your bones into powder. And then he's going to put you back at arm's length. Then he's going to pull you in. He's going to give you a holy kiss. And then he's going to step you back again. He's going to look right straight in your eye. And he's going to smile at you. And he's going to tell you, it's okay, I love you. And then he's going to turn and he's going to walk while he holds your hand. Remember, brothers and sisters, God is love. God is not just about loving because it's the right thing to do. It is because he is love. The Bible tells us that constantly, that God is love. There are numerous scriptures that say that. God is love. <clears throat> Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Remember too that Jesus Christ told that woman at the well that God is spirit and worshiping God in spirit and in truth, that we will be able to worship God wherever we are. We don't have to go to the synagogue as they were, they were refused and not allowed to go into Jerusalem so that they could worship with their brothers and sisters and cousins and all that. They weren't allowed. Why? Because they were Samaritan. Brothers and sisters, God is spirit. God is truth. God is love. God is good. And not because it's the right thing to do, because that's his character. That's what he is. That's what he's made of. Love, truth, hope. So for the doom and gloomers that, oh, I don't want to hear about that. I just want to hear about the pretty stuff. Stop it. Read and learn contextually. <clears throat> because when you seek the word and you only do it out of context, <clears throat> you are contrary to the teachings and to the preaching in the word and the teachings of Jesus Christ. You've got to take it as a whole. It's all relevant. They're all lessons. They're all to guide our steps. But picking and choosing through what scriptures that you want to read and learn from, that's not appropriate lesson plan, brothers and sisters. You've got to take it all. And the thing of it is that you have to remember that God instilled in us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of truth and power. 
Jesus Christ gave us authority over the serpents and the scorpions. Bible speak for demons. It is Bible speak for demons because they will come in the darkness, scamper about like those little bugs they are, slither around in their bellies like the liars they are and try to get us agitated and get up in the attic and get our thought process and our storage of our thoughts and ideas stirred up. They kick them over and they kick up the dust. And that's what they do. That white noise, interference and distraction. But we have been given by the word of Jesus Christ himself. He's in several of the letters. Jesus Christ tells the disciples, which we are disciples. So he's not just talking and teaching them. He's talking and teaching to us as well. That we have been given the authority. And remember this too. And some of you might say, oh, no, that's not true. Oh, yes, it is true. It's in the Bible. You just have to look for it. You have to seek the truth. That we actually have authority over Satan himself. He is a powerful, he is a powerful deity and he will come and he will be frightening. But you see, here's the thing. That's what he counts on. That's what he relies on. He relies on your fear. Remember, fear. That's one of his pseudonyms. Fear is a liar. False evidence appearing real. The appearance that he is all powerful and he has that over you. Ah, not so. God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. All-knowing, always with us, and all-powerful. Satan is none of those things. That's why he has minions that work for him. Because he can't be everywhere at once. And he can't do everything. And here's the other thing, too. Unless you really, really stir him up and edge him, he doesn't even think you're worth the effort for him to have to come and deal with you. That's how little and what little regard he has, but he's got, he might send a whole lot of his uh, minions after you if you make him nervous. But here's the thing, if he comes, you have authority. You have to rely on that. It can be kind of daunting, and but remember, God has given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and truth in his word, in his strength, and in his might. Brothers and sisters, I love you. You're in my prayers. You're in my thoughts every single day going out and coming in that your day be blessed today.